Hi, this is John Ryan with Team Handball News, and joining me from Michigan is the one, the only, Joey Williams of America's top handball club, Detroit Handball. Joey, how are you doing? Thank you for that introduction, John. Anytime I can talk to the fourth best English-speaking handball news source is a good day, so I'm, I'm doing great. Fourth best? Let's see. We got the EA. What? That might be generous. Top, top 10. You're top 10. Oh, I'm down to my EHF, EHF website. Probably, probably number one, maybe. I don't know. I IHF? Feel my, my, my ranking, but uh, no, just suffice <laughs> to say, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see you, John. We, we go back and uh, yeah. always, always nice to. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's, it's great to talk to you. I think I first, uh, I think we first met you, you know, electronically anyway, you, you were, you're all excited about going to the goalkeeper camp. When was that? How long ago was that? Doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess, I guess it was quite a bit ago. I think I was a freshman in college. So, oh no, I guess sophomore. So 18, 19 years old. So <laughs> I, I don't want to reveal my age here, but it was, it was at least half a decade ago. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Great experience. So and, and, and you wrote a nice little article on that. And, uh, and I think we, you've been on the podcast a couple of times and uh, um, big handball fan. I'm, I'm all in for other big handball fans. It's, we're not a huge community here in the U.S., but we're, we're, we're trying to grow that. Um, I know you've been busy with law school, but did you were you able to watch some of the uh, quarterfinal Champions League matches this week? I could only catch some of the highlights and then some of, I have some, some colleagues from uh, a few of those teams who are sending me some videos, just trying to make me uh, jealous that they had fans in the stands and that they were watching some high level handball in person. So I only catched some snippets, but um, uh, I, I would, you know, give a shout out to the other uh, English speaking podcast here, uh, the uninformed handball app. Uh -huh. and uh, to you guys, uh, great calls. That's all I'm going to say. Now, nice, nice calls on those results. Uh, it's the, the curse of the handball podcast, I suppose. So uh, just one request for you fellows, if you're listening, uh, please do not ever select Detroit to win any games, please. Just <laughs> me that, do us that favor. Well, you must be busy if all you're catching is snippets of three great matches. I mean, they were, you know, three great quarterfinal second legs that had you know were in doubt until the very you know final minutes for the most part but i mean they they they, they were games up until, until at least five or ten minutes to go and and one went down to the wire i'm telling you um that uh <laughs> both the albert flinchburg game and the uh not uh uh, Vez Prem game. They were, they were outstanding. Was, wow. So you've been, you've been keeping busy. I mean, uh, and, and you've, you've kind of seeded some of the podcast responsibilities on the uh, shooting straight to max. You've been, you've been so busy with, uh, um, with your club, with law school. And then uh, you're also taking the European handball managers course, right? I'm doing that as well. Yeah. So, uh, but you know what, John, it's uh, very grateful because everything I'm doing, I'm like having a lot of fun doing and I'm very passionate about it. So it doesn't, doesn't feel like work, which 
at times is a good and a bad thing, but life is good. Life is good. Yeah. All right. Well, the purpose, the purpose for this, uh, getting back to, to chatting is, uh, I've been, I've been seeing all the activity on uh, social media with what Detroit handball club is up to. And, um, the, the, Guys are very active there, but I wanted to, to kind of get more into the detail as to what you guys have been doing, what you guys have accomplished since an article I wrote uh, back in 2019, just as you were getting started. You kind of had like a little video that you had put out there and um, starting a new club. It kind of reminded me of my experiences with starting a new club. And I wrote down some things that I saw from my earlier uh, experience, you know, the challenges as far as building a handball club. And I came up with four hurdles to cross, which I think you are uh, either you've, 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 you've hurdled the hurdle or you are certainly in the process of, of uh, crossing a hurdle. And there was four hurdles. Let's, we'll, we'll go through each of them. Um, the first hurdle was recruiting players. And I, I see on social media, I think last night you had a, a, a posting that said six on six, uh, you know, Americans, all Americans playing. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty good because part of the underlying part of my article was, you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a lot of expats. So give me some feedback on where you started out in terms of athletes associated with your club and where you are now and how that's, how that's grown um, in, in terms of the, the last year and a half or so. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you do see our social media posts. So that's uh, how could I miss them? Incredible validation uh, <laughs> for all of our work. Um, yeah. And I mean, in the case of last night, uh, that was a low showing for practice for us, uh, which is an incredible problem to have because we had maybe 12 to 14 guys show up. And for us at the beginning of practice, we're like, where is everyone? So recruiting has probably been, um, for whatever reason, uh, one of our biggest strengths, um, especially with Americans. So from the very beginning, we had, I mean, at the most, 30% um, expats, um, 70% American, American born and raised, uh, athletes. So that's been great. And as we've gone, uh, as we've progressed, that proportion has, has significantly, uh, tilted in favor of, of American born guys. So we have a lot of former baseball players, former lacrosse players, and just due to our poor athletes. So, um, as of right now, I think if I were to back of the napkin math here, uh, 90% Americans, and they all know how to play. Uh, thanks to those 10% of, of people who have that handball IQ and those 10% of people who are incredibly passionate and who are willing to, to share their love of the game with, with those guys. And, oh my God, if you could see these Americans play, John. How, how did it start out though? Did you have, did you ever have one of those practices that I, I kind of, uh, I had a few practices where like maybe two or three people showed up and it's just such a, um, such a, uh, <laughs> demoralizing thing. Did you have a few practices like that? 
I've had more than a few of like, like that. It's uh, that's the price of, I mean, for lack of a better term, price of doing business for trying to, to do something like this. I, I, but the positive thing though is John, I knew that going in. And so I said, okay, I know that there's going to be practices where I just set up the nets, put the balls on the ground and stand there like this and nobody shows up uh, or two or three people show up or I'm there and then somebody straggles on. That's just, that's part of it. You just have to accept that if you're starting a new club that you're going to look like an absolute clown some days, but other days, not so much. Yeah. What, what, uh, what started to turn things around for you and how were you able to get, uh, you know, what, what were the tools that you used for recruiting? That's a good question. The, an interesting thing that happened was right before the, the world started ending in March, we had that, we had a group of probably 30 people who are very, who are showing up consistently and regularly to practice. And of that group, pretty much everyone stayed with us post total lockdown. Um, so into June, and then we've, we've continued to get those people and, and add some new people, but social media, has been the biggest thing for us. Just having a, a strong social media presence gives us credibility and allows us to engage with people in a way that um, entices them to, to come out and at least try it. And once they try it, they're hooked. Wow. So um, social media was the, was the big, uh, was the big pull. Was there uh, any word of mouth type of uh yeah. action or was there any uh, I know you guys have practiced at different places was there support from like the facilities that you were in or uh, mostly just uh, people stumbling upon it on Facebook I would say it's the majority the vast majority being social media with a few a few exceptions and I'm trying to think of some but really the people who have kind of um, there, there's been, there's been cases of number one, social media and the number two, uh, somebody bringing a friend and that friend sticking or that friend sticking around for a while and leaving. Um, but again, social media. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's just take, let's just take three examples and, and how they came, came into your club you had three guys that uh, traveled to Portugal to, to practice. Um, who are those three guys and how did they uh, find out about your club and get involved? Um, great question. And I, so, okay. So you did see that. I'm just, just making sure you, you did see the three Americans playing for, for sporting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Let's, <laughs> okay. Let's, I'm just, let's, I'm let's double check. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw, I saw some highlights. Um, how did they, how did they, you know, find out about the club, and how did they get in, engaged uh, so strongly? Those guys have been rock stars. Um, so those three, um, the first one being a, a guy named uh, Jay Smith. I uh, again through social media and also through a mutual friend that we didn't quite know, but. Um, that's how he got connected with us. He was one of those first guys um, to, to come to the practices and the before, before time. Um, 
his background is in baseball. He is from West Michigan and he was probably uh, one of the top baseball players out of West Michigan for, for his class. Um, played a little bit of minor league developmental league um, in the, in the Midwest and was looking for something competitive to do. And he, I'll say this right now, he's probably the best American born handball player playing handball right now, straight face. I will put him against any single person in the United States or even Europe for that matter, because he went there and he showed what he had and they were quite impressed. Well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I will say that I am skeptical as to the veracity of your opinion. statement. You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> I, I'm, and I, and John, you know, me too. I'm not some blowhard who, who doesn't know handball. I I've seen, I've seen handball and this guy's got it. This guy's got it. He is a little bit on the older side, which isn't ideal, but he's got it. Yeah. So uh, the, the second guy is a, a gentleman named Chris Lounsbury, and he's a, he's a former uh, volleyball player. I guess he still plays a bit, but also, too, he was looking for something competitive to do, um, and he linked up with us early on um, prior to the pandemic. And he's both of those guys have been, been guys who, who come to practice every single week, and they show up early, and Chris in particular has a long drive. So the, the dedication of those guys really uh, – translated to their development as players over the past year. And then the third one uh, was Christopher Williams, uh, my not so little brother, uh, who's a lacrosse player and uh, all-star punter. Uh, he's about, he's the tallest one out of all of us and um, very talented player, but the way he got into it was, um, you know, coming to practice with me. Oh, he, he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't just stumble across the, uh, the Detroit handball fitter Twitter feed and said, Joey, I didn't know you were involved with handball. What? Tell me about it. That would have been a problem. In fact, he also, to mention him too, he's uh, he's starting the Grand Rapids team and they are, they're growing fast. They're, okay. they're doing a lot there. So was there, was there a specific channel that was the most effective in? Uh... I wouldn't say so. I, I did the shotgun approach and okay. sort of see what, what right. came back. I think I should have. If I really wanted to, I could probably look back and see Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, which was the best, or LinkedIn. That's yeah. we got Jay through. Yeah, you know, it might be it might be an interesting thing to one day of practice just say, guys, specifically, how did you find out about our club and decide to go to first practice? That would be very very interesting to uh, you know to to see how to see how that happened and. You know, the, the second thing, uh, very closely related to the, to the recruiting players, is the critical mass by which you get enough players that if half of them decide not to show up, you can still conduct a practice. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal to have yourself in that situation. Um, when, did, when did you first get, like, a practice where you could say, wow, we can scrimmage? We can go, we can go seven on seven and we're good to go. First day. That was like, that was, and again, too, I mean, I might not even be the best example, not the first day, I should say the first, um, we had like a tryout for the team. And that was one that we really put a lot of resources into, um, getting people there. And so I consider that sort of day one. However, there have been prior to that and subsequently, Days where there's not so many people, but our first official tryout in January. We, uh -huh. no. Yeah, and one of the things that that I found out is like, 
and I'll go back in ancient history before social media didn't exist. And when I was starting the diplomats in DC, the Washington Post did an article on us in their weekend section. And boom. I mean, it's funny to think about now, like, wow, people read the paper back then. <laughs> you know, because there's there was like 30 guys at our next practice, you know, that just they had read the uh, the article in the newspaper, and, and most of them were expats that we hadn't seen before. But tip, typical to anything, um, you know, there's there's an attrition rate. You know, you talk to you talk to ten people, you know, a smaller number sticks, and that uh, that varies from program to program, team to team, um, and and that's why you get a little bit of ebb and flow. You know, you might have a bunch of guys show up, but somebody sees it, they don't like it, they don't come to the next practice. What's your, uh, what's your attrition rate? Do you think? I mean, how many, how many guys do you think have stepped on the court at a Detroit handball practice? And then, how many guys would you say, you know what, this is my, this is my core core group that I can count on, and and, and what that number is. I wouldn't call it an attrition rate in the sense that you're describing, because I know what you're talking about. I'd say we have more of a turnover as far as um, we'll have somebody join. We'll have a group. We'll have maybe two or three people randomly join at the same time. Uh, and then within a few weeks, somebody will move away or somebody will start showing up. So it's almost like a net zero. Like we've just been having for every one person at least we'll have maybe one or two people fill their spots. So, I don't, I can't explain how or why, but generally there haven't been people that have completely fallen off the, the map. Even if somebody doesn't show up for a while, they still engage with us on so, social media. They still stay in touch via email or text and, and let, let us know that they won't be there or they're taking a, a, a break. And I think that's in large part to do with the core group that we do have, not even the core group, just a group that we have is just a nice group to be around. And so people develop friendships and they, you know, even if you're new and you're a little quiet um, and you step away, you still feel a sense of like, okay, they show up to practice maybe sporadically. So what's your your financial structure right now? How many people, and this is always a good way of of seeing who's for real and who's kind of just checking things out. How many people are are like paying dues and paying to, to go to practice and, um, you know, that, uh, have kind of put some skin in the game, if you will. We don't, we don't have dues. So practices are free. Okay. So th- there's no charge for your gym or anything. So there is, but the, the one thing, I think the closest thing we have to dues is the, uh, the league we do. And so you pay to, to register for that. Okay. And how, how much was that registration fee? $50. So fifty dollars. How many? How many people uh, with Detroit signed on for that? Uh, depends on the session because we've had we've had three sessions since since August. Enough to have two full teams with subs. Enough to have two full with which e- with each session and with a few new people. Um, and especially with this current session, it, it gets a little tricky because we have a lot of out of staters now coming in, and we have Milwaukee playing in the league. So I. Just don't have that that number 
at my fingertips right now. But it, it'd be probably, from what you're saying, it'd probably be something around 20. Total or per session? Uh, I would say, we'll just take like the last session that you had. And and I, 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 I've seen some clips and highlights. It's a league. I guess you got Grand Rapids and Hamtrak and uh, Detroit. So like three clubs playing. We have more than 20. We have more than 20. Yeah. So you got 20 people willing to put down, you know, 50, $50 to, to, to play a couple handball games. Right. So oh, yeah. that's, that's something, <laughs> you that's know? Nothing. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's where, you know, where the rubber starts to hit the road, you know, when people start having to, pay out of pocket you know that's that's a point where somebody it's like the next step the next level of commitment if you will and i think it's great that you had things set up that people could come in and they could try it out for nothing and i guess they can even come to practices for nothing so so that's that's a real uh a real positive situation you know to have and i think that's i think that's great um, in the video too, it's, it looks like you got some younger guys playing. Um, where are you finding those guys? Those guys um, are finding us. Those guys are finding us. Those guys are what? Finding us. Finding, finding you guys. And, and how are they finding you guys and deciding to show up and, and play handball? Social media. Social media. And, and how young are some of those players? Um, you know, so on the younger side of things too, um, it, it's a little tricky because those guys, we don't want to put them in a game with grown men, but the youngest guy, 13. Um, and then when we, we, we do a lot of stuff with the boys and girls club, those guys as young as five. Yeah. So, and, and to me, that's, that's to me, I think is a real positive thing. And I, and I go back to, Ancient history, the Boys and Girls Club program they had in L.A. I mean, we're talking 80s and 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but they had a, a bunch of kids come out of that program. Um, and then Atlanta had like a nice program with the Boys Gary and Hines. Girls Club. And I think I think Gary Hines came out of that uh, yeah. to some extent. Um, you know, and it was a... Um, to me, that was the real positive thing, bringing, bringing guys that young into the game and discovering it because, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's important, you know, there's a, there's kind of an age cutoff where you can, there's not an age cutoff to start the game, but there, I think there's an age cutoff where your potential to be like the next Gary Hines. I think that factors in and the younger you can get somebody started, the better. Agreed. The younger, the better. Yeah. So I thought that's, that's excellent that you're getting some young guys like that involved. Um, and, you know, when they're playing against older people, they're just gonna, they're going to learn the game and they're going to get better. And that's how it is in Europe too. They don't, they don't separate like hard line, like only fifth graders play with fifth graders and sixth graders. Like it's, it's, you, you bring up a 14 year old who's, who's six, five and you let him play with men. And that's how yeah. is are, are some of these guys uh uh, uh 
uh, fairly accomplished in basketball or other sports as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. We got a uh, D one, former D one track player. We have, um, like I said, Jay, who's a professional baseball player. Um, who else? We have quite a few. Yeah. All right. Cool. Players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your practice facility. Um, and, and I've seen that on social media. We, we even had a little, you know, joke with, uh, God, I can't think of his name. Nicholas Cage and the, oh. and the, and the, uh, one of his movies, you know, the Masons. But you're playing in a Masonic temple, but it looks like a great facility. Very airy, you know, with a big, uh, 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 it just has a good feel to it. You know, it looks like a big, big place. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's, if it's not full length, it's close to full length. Um, how did you get a hold of that facility? <laughs> and, 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 and they're not charging you to practice there? Oh, they are. But oh, they are. Detroit is the land of opportunity. And if you, if you want to do something in the city of Detroit, there's, you can make it happen. It's, it's amazing. So that place, I'll give you a little history about it, John. Um, it was built in the 1920s when Detroit was really at their peak. And obviously back in the day, Masonic Temple or the Freemasons, even still today, um, it's just, a, it's really just like a, a group of people who it's a fraternity for, for adults. Um, and so Henry Ford, the guy who started Kmart, uh, the guy who, people who ran General Motors uh, during World War II, like every notable person that come out of Detroit was pretty much had, had some connection to that building. So it was quite grandiose when they were building it. But the interesting thing, there's quite a few interesting things about it. Um, they started building it and they were, they finished like the structure um, and they were going to go floor by floor. Like really, if you, if you look at some of the videos of like the entryway and some of the, the lower levels, it's breathtaking. Um, but by the time they got to about like the sixth floor, it's a 15 story building, um, the great depression happened. So there's a bunch of like, bunch of floors that are like, <laughs> they stopped working on it and like, 1929 and that's how it is today like there's a pool like on the same floor that we play um that's just like unfinished and it's like a it, part of it's cool now because it's like place for music videos and what have you so that's part of the the allure of the building but the building john is the largest masonic temple on earth and it has and prior to the pentagon being built it has the most rooms and the most hallways of any building on the planet so it's a gigantic building and you can get like, you legitimately can get lost um, walking in there. And so uh, in order to find our gym, you have to go up to the sixth floor and uh, walk past the Ark of the Covenant. And then by the time uh, you, you, you see the uh, hitchhiking ghosts from the haunted mansion, um, you've gone too far, but it's, it's cool. Once, uh, once we start doing some things here and having some events, you come down and you will be dragging your your jaw all the way, all the way to the handball floor. I, I had, I had no idea that it was, I mean, that you guys are on the sixth floor. <laughs> we're above, we're above a, uh, like a literal concert hall. It's, it's crazy. And have you heard of, uh, you probably, this probably isn't your, your Q zone, but uh, the guy named Jack White, he, he wrote the song Seven Nation Army, like, oh, I, who hasn't heard that song? Right? So kind of a little bit of a well-known ditty, but uh, the guy's from Detroit and he, the building during like the recession and whatnot, 
uh, had fallen on some hard times. And so he kind of came in and like was a huge benefactor for the building. So he's like involved with it quite a bit. And it's just, a, it's a piece of history. And so it's like, to kind of take a step back. So to have handball um, in this genuine American treasure and to do it, the location of the building itself, John, is like Little Caesars Arena where the Pistons, the Red Wings play is a block away. It's, oh. it's in downtown Detroit. It is like prime location. It's as professional a venue as you can get for the sport of handball on this. Well, hemisphere. yeah, I, I would say, you know, from, from the social media videos and stuff, I'm like, Oh, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> How did you pull that off? I mean, what, I what happened? I had, to, uh, I had to kill a goat, uh, offer a sacrifice to the, uh, to the gods. Okay. How did you get the opportunity to kill the goat? Who did you talk to? How did that get set up? Uh, um, you just walked in and said, ah, we're going to start a handball club. Can we practice in this facility? Uh, something like that. Something like that. We, uh, thankfully I, I knew some people and, uh, they're excellent, excellent people to work with and they were just open to it. So I, um, yeah, just basically reached out to them and they were really yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about Detroit, the land of opportunity. I have to say, I've never been to Detroit. Um, You're missing out. It, it's not on my it, it's not been on my bucket list, and you know, I, I don't think I'm alone when I would say you know Detroit has a bad rap. You know, mm -hmm. they, I, I've seen different news reports of like blocks of towns, you know, houses having to be demolished because there's nobody living in them. Um, defend, defend. Detroit in that perspective. I mean, already my mind's being changed a little bit, you know, based on this, but Great. you know, um, is, is, is the fact that, you know, that Detroit's been hollowed out a little bit, does that give you guys some opportunity to, to work in a, in a, such a uh, cool looking facility? It's a big enough place where you've heard of Detroit and almost everyone on earth has not everyone on earth, but like, most of the Western world. I mean, even, you know, most people have heard of Detroit, right? Sure. But it's a small enough place where you can have an impact um, if you're doing things for the right reasons and being, um, if you're just, if you're just working hard, really, if you just work hard in the city of Detroit, um, you'll be embraced. And if you're really trying to do something special, because like you said, Detroit has such a bad rap. Every, all people here is what, how bad Detroit is. So there's a little bit of a, a punk rock, F you kind of attitude where the chip, um, chip on your shoulder. Yeah, precisely. Like the yeah. Detroit versus everybody. So if you're doing something to, to help the city, um, you know, just to help the city, if you're doing something positive um, yeah. and something kind of cool. And I think our, our club has a little bit of a chip on the shoulder as well, which I think aligns well with, with a lot of Detroit, like just the, the city itself, like, they'll embrace you. And I think the, the universe will sort of conspire, uh, at least the universe in Detroit will kind of conspire to, to help you yeah. uh, get things, get things done. And, and, you know, that was, I was a little bit surprised too, you know, when I, when I did my initial uh, research about like, you know, just trying to just look at some numbers about, Hey, you know, how, how successful could someone be starting a program in Detroit? You know, and I looked at the numbers in terms of residents and I'm like, on why hasn't it happened before? A little bit. 
I mean, because if you, there's a pretty big uh, correlation with the size of the American city and whether there's a handball program there. And uh, so I think, I think you had some advantages there, but I, and, and I also know that the uh, news reports, it, it's like the biggest Arab community uh, in the country. And it's like, like was some of your, are some of the players on your team from uh, Arab countries or as far as the expats, where, where are they, where are they from? So we have a few, uh, we have a few Tunisians, a few Habibis, as we call them, uh, which is Arabic for sweetheart. So we have a few of those guys. Um, we've had a few um, Saudi players cycling in and out, but um, again, the Tunisian, two, the two Tunisian players are two of the guys who have been like pivotal to, to helping teach the sport and they've just been blessings on all fronts. So not, is- not a, as big of an Arab presence as, I would like, um, but there is, there's certainly, they certainly are represented, um, but French, German, uh, and quite a few Brazilians, quite a few Brazilians. Yeah. A little, little, little surprising there. So, but, but like you said, it hasn't, it hasn't, uh, uh, the percentage hasn't been overwhelmed with expats. So you guys have done a really great job of uh, reaching out to the new players. I don't want to sound like I'm jingoistic and like xenophobic. Like I'm like, it's just how it, it's shaken out. Yeah. And, and I don't want to sound like that either. You know, it's like, uh, I think it's great to, to bring those guys in and they do an outstanding job of, uh, of teaching everybody to play. But, you know, sometimes it gets to the point where everybody's an expat and that, that has a little bit different vibe to it. It's just different. It doesn't not necessarily bad, um, maybe well, bad in terms of American development. Yeah. Um, but, not in bad in terms of people hanging out, having fun, playing handball. When it's in, it's very interesting too because in Europe, and you you know this, and our friends who are expats and immigrants know this as well. But like you can play meaningful competitive sports, um, not professionally for your entire life. And so to come to the U.S. and and see that that's not the case it is quite interesting. And so when they're able to when that community sort of naturally forms. It's like very cool. It's like, it's, it's a special thing. There's no, no, no shame in it. No, no knocking it at all. All right. Well, we've covered three hurdles, recruiting, critical mass, uh, place to play uh, and equipment. Uh, Did equipment, did you uh, have to just shell out some dollars to get that going? That was the, I also had to kill a goat for, for that one. Did you get any help from the Federation in terms of balls, goals? No, <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. I'm sorry. Well, you, sh- you should ask. No, not yet. <laughs> you should ask. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you might be surprised. I, I, I got, I got a set of goals. Uh, just, just for asking who knows where they are now. in uh, the one in Las Vegas, probably signal. They sent us a set of goals. Uh, you know, so sometimes it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, they probably say, well, Ryan started a great program in DC. I hope he'll start another one in Las Vegas. And well, you know, sometimes, sometimes you succeed, sometimes you fail and you learn from, you learn from your successes and your failures. Um, one of the challenges with the pandemic is, uh, opponents to play, um, and you guys have had some unique strategies for that. 
um, in terms of creating opponents right where you're at, as opposed to traveling elsewhere. Talk a little bit about the Detroit league that you've set up and uh, how that has helped growth. Sure. Yeah. And, and not to, I want to just clarify, like the, I'll, I will ask, I will ask, I haven't made that good of an effort to ask the Federation for equipment. So I will, I will go and I will do an earnest job of asking. So for the league, yes. Um, it was a weird, it's been a weird year. Right. Um, and handball, I mean, even prior to the pandemic is an even weirder beast because um, it is very challenging to um, have competition that is not a, uh, a weekend warrior um, middle school volleyball format where you're playing games at 9 a.m. Um, and then by the time you're playing the championship game, uh, you've played eight games in the span of 24 hours and you're dead and you just want to go home. So um, that was a problem we were trying to solve even in 2019. Um, and so having the, our own little intramural league solved that for us. Um, so we were able to divvy the teams up in a way that was competitive, but fun and keep the guys invested and interested. And it was an excuse also to um, just to go a little bit harder and um, have some, some meaning when you're playing. That's a big problem I experienced as a player in the United States is when you're practicing and playing uh, for just ad nauseum without really, again, not to take anything away from open nationals, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as a, as an athlete who's, who's played other sports. And I would venture to bet that most Americans in my shoes would agree um, that you you just don't feel that same, um, that same feeling uh, when you're, when you're practicing for months and months and then you, you go and you play 10 games in a weekend. That's just, it's just a weird vibe. So wanted to solve that. And I think we've cracked that code at least. Do you, you still envision, do you still envision a Detroit first team? Yep. Like going to uh, Chicago to play in their tournament, um, going to nationals, going to a West Point tournament or, you know, heading over to Columbus to, to play in the, uh, Oh, the Schwarzenegger Cup or whatever they call it. I mean, in all I'm just in all honesty, like I don't know, I don't know. We'll have to see because right as of right now, I just haven't. There's just nothing out there, um, and so it would have to be an interesting proposition for us. The the Chicago tournament's not interesting to you. Oh, have they scheduled it? No, I, I'm just, I'm just assuming. Yeah. I'm just assuming we have a semi-normal season next year or yeah. this year, this fall. Um, maybe that's too optimistic. I don't know. Best, uh, best prem hungry. The pandemic's over there. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the crowd that they had. I mean, I, what? And in Florida and Texas. Yeah. Like, the pandemic's over. I mean, you know, so I, I, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I, at least I'm optimistic that there will be a semi-normal competitive schedule uh, slate yeah. uh, this fall and spring. Maybe that's too optimistic, but 
let's assume that it does happen. I mean, will Detroit be sending a team to Chicago uh, trying to play in other tournaments this year? I started the club because I want to kind of shift the paradigm of handball. And so if we can find a way to, to do that while playing in those tournaments, absolutely. And I, those are fun. I enjoy going to those. Um, but I'll say probably, possibly, I'll say possibly. All right. If we can go there and have fun and, and accomplish what we sort of follow, what our values are and do our thing, then yeah. Okay. Well, well, you guys were going to host nationals. I mean, surely you're going to get another shot at that, 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 you know, since it got canceled that, you know, would Detroit be a first uh, choice to have the, you know, the 2022 nationals at same location, same setup. I hope so. I really hope so. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I, we, again, there hasn't been any word on um, tournaments yet. I think we're still trying to, I think there's a lot of resources being poured into this um, uh, world championship event in, uh, in August. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. And I mean, I, I think we would, we would be open to it. Absolutely. That'd be a ton of fun. Could you host a tournament at the, at the, at the Masonic the temple there? Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I would think that would, be a high interest item, you know, people looking to go somewhere new. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be, I think um, it's, it's the coolest handball venue on earth. Flat out. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Marina and Flens Arena and uh, where else? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's badass. It's so cool. All right. Well, I tell you what, let's, let's break up this podcast into two parts. Right. I think we've, we've covered you know, what you guys have done as a club. And let me be very clear. I am really impressed with, with what you guys have, have done as a club. Can you say that again? I, I am very impressed with what you guys have done as a club. Anybody that's taken the time to start a new club can recognize and appreciate what you guys have accomplished. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it kind of goes without saying and those of you who are listening who have never done it, well, get off your butt and try and start a new club. Maybe contact Joey for some of his suggestions and uh, lessons learned, if you will, as to what to do. That being said, let's talk a little bit in our next podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about social media and uh, me making some friends on Twitter, that sort of thing. This will be a good one. This will be yeah, a good so, one. So we'll, we'll, we'll conclude part one here. And for uh, Joey Williams and Detroit Handball, uh, this is John Ryan. Thanks for listening. Be sure to scri- subscribe to the podcast and also check out all the old podcasts, including the ones I did with uh, Joey in the past. Anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll start part two here in a little bit.